Imagine flying into Cairo. The great sands of the Sahara stretched out to the west. Pyramids of Giza towering up over the horizon as they have for 5,000 years. Great Nile traversing its way through a sprawling city. And just on the opposite side of the pyramids, a city within a city. A city of trash, garbage, litter, rubbish, debris left from people and tourists. All hand-sorted by 60,000 people. That's the scene that two explorers wandered into just a few short months ago. Today on the Get Lost Podcast, we go in-depth with Discover Humanity to find out what it's like in Cairo's City of Garbage. Welcome back to the Get Lost Podcast. I'm your host, travel writer Joe Sills, a freelancer for Travel Channel, National Geographic, Lonely Planet, a couple of other publications around the world. Today, I'm joined by the team from Discover Humanity. They are explorers, Denea Buckingham and Manos Mitikas. They are a global team of explorers and filmmakers in the midst of a 199 country exploration of the world. Let's dive in. I'm so excited to talk to you guys because you are really an inspiration, I think, for all travelers. Um, You started this project called Discover Humanity, and all of you guys, like, if you're not driving, you can get on your phone and check Instagram at Discover Humanity. Uh, This is an incredible project that you started, I think, about two years ago, and your goal is to get to 199 countries. Is that right? Well, the goal is not just to get to them. The goal is actually to create a film from each of them that shows the people that live there, their culture, and allows them a chance to share a message that they want to send to the rest of the world. So you're going to these countries and you're taking film equipment. Um, You're posting episodes on YouTube, but the goal isn't necessarily like a Bourdain style where you're documenting a travel thing. It's more about... What is your message to the rest of the world? Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's really the core of the whole project is that we think that 
we spend a lot of time viewing other countries and other people through maybe a lens that we see in the media or this single story that we get from various places instead of actually listening to one another and connecting on a human level. So we make two parallel series. We make the Humanity series, which is these films of hum humanity in each place, culture, life, and the messages, which are really the core of the project. And then we make another behind the scenes series. So it lets people get more in depth in our journey, um, who we meet, the experiences we have, and how we connect with humanity in each location. So you guys might notice a little delay. Um, Danae and Menos are in Singapore, and I'm in Memphis as usual. So there's a little bit of a delay, but we're able to compensate for it. Um, guys, it's the beginning of 2020. How long have you been on the road? The idea of Discover Humanity started three years ago. Uh, we worked on uh, logistics and the preparation of the project about two years. And uh, the journey started uh, uh, on 10th of December 2018, about one year ago. So how far have you been in, in one year? Uh, Around the world. Uh, <laughs> since then, uh, we, we travel in uh, different parts of the world. We went to Caribbean, to Central America, to Balkans, to uh, North Africa. Now we are in Asia. And... Uh, I can tell you some countries like Haiti, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Mexico, Guatemala, Bulgaria, Serbia, Kosovo, Lebanon, Cyprus, Egypt, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and now Singapore. The idea That's is amazing. Sorry, the, the idea with that is that in order to both keep it interesting for our viewers, as well as to show a continuing globability, with the idea of comparing, contrasting, and connecting cultures is not just to go to one part of the world and film the whole thing and then go somewhere else. We're doing this kind of bouncing around the world continuously um, for a constantly new culture to experience. So when you're planning that, like, logistically, do you have, like, a rough guideline or an exact timeline of, like, we want to be in the South Pacific for these two months because of the weather? And we want to then go to sub-Saharan Africa for these months. Like, is that planned out to that level? Or are you just kind of going like whatever you feel like next? There are many, there are many things that uh, uh, make us uh, do a decision from the, uh, how you call it, with the visa restrictions uh, to the... Yeah, there's a number of different facets that go into that kind of, uh, that go into, I mean, the logistics of this is if anybody's planned even a long-term trip, like say you did a gap year or something, you know the logistics are insane of, of travel planning and this is kind of another level. So we have to take a number of things into account. Um, uh, seasonality of weather, of course, as you said, is one of them, but then also uh, festive seasons are another. If there's a culturally important thing we need to see, visas and how easy or hard it will be for us to get a visa um thankfully we both come from strong passport countries uh but it's still an issue um etc etc so those are all kind of logistical things that we factor in and that um determine where we go and where we go and we have a we have a general uh, a six seven year travel plan to complete this project but this is a little bit uh, flexible uh, I see. All of our uh, bookings are about three, four months in advance yeah. of every country. Like they were not deciding every week where we'll go next week 
okay, we are about uh, uh, three, four months uh, ahead. So we know the next uh, uh, seven, eight, nine destinations. Yeah. And on the way, we are working on the next yeah. destination. So are there times when, uh, this is what like occurs to me logistically with visas, and, and maybe it's just because I'm in Memphis and like we don't have any embassies, you know. If there was a barbecue embassy, like there would be one here, but. <laughs> and it would be a good one. It would be like the best one, but um, we don't have embassies. So I always have to send my passport off to like a FedEx it to Washington or something to, to get whatever visa I need and they send it back. Um, are there situations where you're in a foreign country and you're like, uh, let's say I'm in Malaysia and I need to get a, a visa for um, Ethiopia? Like, do you have to then send your visa somewhere, your passport, while you're in another country? Or how do you navigate um, that? So we, we try and plan for those in it or to be able to be in one spot when we have to do any of those, those posting passport uh, situations. A lot of countries now um, offer e-visas. So, for example, all of our Southeast Asia countries that we just did were either e-visa or, although they say get your visa pre, it's visa on arrival. Um, so a lot of that kind of more in-depth research goes into it. So it does depend where you're going. Um, some places do require you to be in your home country to submit for a visa for there, but those are becoming rarer and rarer. Okay, uh, yeah. Kind of like the countries that actually give you like a passport stamp. It's, they're going away. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, which is kind of sad for me. Like, I, I look at my mother's passport, you know, back from the 70s and the 80s, and I'm like, dude, these were beautiful. Um, and they put this the sticker on the steamer trunk, kind of, you know, those things. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, the last three countries that we did all did actually have full paid passport visas. Um, like, they're very pretty, uh, but they give them to you on arrival. They charge you an extra two bucks but they print it right there. Um, it's, so. it's worth it. Like I was so bummed uh, going to Australia last year. I was like, I'm going to get an Australia stamp and I didn't get one. They just came my face. We're really bored. We, we should, we should put like some cute little koala situation <laughs> in there for you, but no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's like koalas and kangaroos over everything else. Like the money has a kangaroo on it. I can't. <laughs> Even our pizza. We, when you were there, did you have a coat of arms pizza? Because no. we country that eats the two animals that are on our coat of arms which is <laughs> really sad but true um i shouldn't make jokes about australian animals because a moment for the fires <laughs> yeah that's something we should talk about later um i don't want to bore our listeners with visa talk because I, I don't know how many of them are like that detailed and into it although <laughs> if, if if you're listening to a travel podcast like you ought to have a passport um I will come personally kick your ass if you're in Memphis and you don't have a passport and you're listening to this. Amen, Bella. Um, exactly. So tell me more about Discover Humanity because in a few minutes, we're going to get into some really grisly stuff. Um, we're going to go on a voyage with Danea and Manos to Egypt. But before we get there, I want to know where the idea for Discover Humanity came about. Uh Discovery Humanity is a vision to, to break down some prejudice that people have for foreign cultures, mostly because of uh, misinformation or lack of information. So mm -hmm. uh, what we are trying to do is to create a global mosaic of, of cultures, humans, and their messages to the rest of the world. So everybody can listen to, to one another and uh, 
have a better understanding into the lives of others. And exactly. why did you guys choose like film or, or video, I should say, as the medium to convey that message? I think because it gives you a lot of scope to work in as well as it can give you a very connecting experience. So in the second half of our films, if you go to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash discover humanity, um, or you can type discover humanity in there, there's only one of us, um, you, you have the opportunity in the second half of the film People that we interview and that share their messages to the world speak straight into the camera. So it's not just like a travel film. And don't get me wrong, travel films are wonderful for the discovery of a new place and, and you know, what you might experience there. But we decided that what we need in order to break down these barriers that we have from foreign cultures and people is we need a moment to actually connect on a human level and say, okay, I'm going to listen to you for a moment and, and and let you tell me something that matters to you, that you want me to know. And that moment is very important because that's what you get when you do travel. That's what you get when you sit down in a bar with somebody in in Umbutu uh, or in Uluwatu, pick, pick a place in, in Memphis, if you will, in a new place. And you sit down with someone and you speak to them and they look into your eyes and it's very hard to maintain a misconception or a, a preconceived notion or a prejudice about someone when you're actually speaking with them. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of, that's really the most important part for, for us of the project. This, the global mosaic is amazing. And the idea that you can go somewhere, eventually when this is done, you'll be able to go somewhere, click on a place and see it through an unbiased lens. We're not funded by, uh, a, a big corporation with a with an ulterior motive. This is an unbiased, independent, uh, two people with back with two backpacks full of filmmaking gear lens to show the reality of our our world to each other. That is super powerful. Um, it reminds me of an anecdote that I, I sort of discovered this last year. Um, in a, in a way, like um, the partner had at the time was from Bulgaria and um, after we were together for years like I finally like I was like sanctioned like yes you could come to Bulgaria and you can meet the family and all that um, but her parents who were here in Memphis like reiterated over and over and over again that, like as long as I met them they said don't go to Romania like go to Bulgaria don't go to Romania this, this is the common story of every traveler <laughs> oh where, yeah where, where, uh, <laughs> is this the Greek tale? Like, don't go to Bulgaria. Like, is that what they say? Everyone does this. Everyone. Wait, Serbia said, don't go to Kosovo. Bulgaria said, don't go to don't Serbia. Go to Serbia. Uh, Mexico says, don't, don't go to, go to Guatemala. Go, like, yes, it's everywhere. And then you go, and like, what happens? And we go and we meet incredible people. We have an amazing time. We discover yeah. humanity really everywhere. And we want through our films to show exactly this that yeah. humanity. There is everywhere. Exactly, uh, exactly. I, there are some common common values and common needs that we have as a human species that are universal, no matter the 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 country, the borders, the religion, the color, no matter anything. Yeah. Uh, I, I can give you one simple example to understand uh, what I mean. Uh, no matter the economical, social situation of of every country, no matter if it's poverty or if it's a wealthy country, 
Uh, one mother loves her child the same, no matter if she's from America, from Afghanistan, from Australia, from Timbuktu. And if all humans, we understand this, we, we have a deeper understanding of this, that we are sharing some common values as humans, this can maybe create a more compassionate uh, world. Yeah. And I, I think and I, so. And I think and I hope that, you know, especially our generation who is so connected, we're, we're hyper-connected now, and it's becoming more and more so every day. And I think that really, really, and thankfully this is also what we hear a lot from the people that we meet and the people that we interview is that it's time for our differences to be interesting to one another but for our similarities to be far more important and it's time to actually live as though we are all the same species instead of oh well you're from there or you believe in that god or those i really feel that those days are are I hope becoming behind us because they don't really serve us. Um, these, these separation and segregation, it, it, it doesn't really do anything positive for us. I agree. And I'm sure you guys would feel the same way. Like when I compare the experiences, um, just, just like if you close your eyes and, and like feel what's around you, this, you get the same feeling in a, a Buddhist temple or a, a Christian cathedral, um, or a synagogue, like there's a similar feeling in all of them a lot of the time. So instead of like looking at like what divides us, why are our religions different? Why are our beliefs different? You know, focus on that feeling when you travel and you'll start to realize like, man, a lot of this, like it makes me question what I was taught growing up, like in the rural American South, you can only imagine. Um, any, anyway, it just... It's just a feeling, you know, have you ever had that experience? Of course. And I think in, in many different ways, you know, you, um, you walk down, uh, well, actually a better example is we are very grateful and thankful that we get invited to have a lot of family dinners. We got invited into a farmhouse, um, in Serbia, really rural Serbia, uh, with an elderly couple who spoke absolutely no English and we spoke absolutely no Serbian and we I had edge data and we were communicating through Google Translate on edge data which is really hard um, but we had so much fun and so much joy with them sharing that moment and then recently we were in Laos in a little village outside of the capital Vanchen and we got invited to a family dinner where we spoke no Lao and they spoke <laughs> no English and we had laughter and fun and Google Translator amusing errors and, and all of that's another feeling, you know, it, and, and it's the same feeling. It's the same feeling of, as you're saying, that kind of grandeur and quiet and peace that, you, that maybe you get from a, a religious place. You also get that joy and love and warmth from a family place and that is, is so universal. I could see that. And like, you're trying to communicate in broken English and Menos is like Greek and English. And it's just like this whole. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, those, those feelings are for sure. You know, I think, and I really, I think that most travelers know that and they've experienced that in some way, shape or form. And the whole idea was born through traveling. Yeah. That the, uh, we were passionate traveling, um, um, before before the project, oh, yeah. 
and uh, everybody was uh, telling us, oh, don't go there, don't go there, and we're going there, and we're meeting incredible people, as we said before. And that, that uh, created us uh, the need to do something for this. Mm-hmm. We wanted to show to people that, okay, there's nothing to afraid. Yeah, time, time to be one planet, one species. Which actually, we have t-shirts that say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was scoping those out. Um, I'll do a t-shirt swap with you. We'll send you some no. sold outside gear uh, if you send me some Discover Humanity gear. No. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So guys, um, let's take a step back from the overall project for a minute. And I want to kind of paint a portrait for our listeners. Um, as I often ask you guys to do, I want you to close your eyes and think about the globe and think about Africa and look up in that sort of top right corner of Africa where the the green of the jungle fades away and and it starts to turn into sand uh, and it starts to look a little bit less like the Africa you see most often on Discovery Channel and now we're in Egypt we're gonna land in Cairo we're gonna meet up with Denea and Menos hop in a cab and let them take it from there So Egypt is an amazing country and Cairo is a city on another level. It's a mega city, but it's not a mega city in the way that you would think of somewhere like Tokyo or perhaps Hong Kong. Cairo is very, is gritty, it's dirty, it's loud, it's uh, a- It's culturally very rich. Of a, a frenzy of cars and people and animals and honking and selling and there's a couple of pyramids in there. Um, and it's a it's a massive animal in a city that that feels incredibly alive and hectic, um, but also with amazing things uh, hidden everywhere in, in its cracks. Uh, you never know where you're going to find something fascinating in Cairo. When you talk about like the stuff that are hidden in in the cracks of Cairo, like tell us a little bit about like historically what's there and culturally, like what you might wander into just on a every street you know just walking around it, it depends on where you go um you will sit in traffic for an extraordinary amount of time but that also lets you look out the windows um and and look at the different places and see the lives of the people that are walking around um and you might walk into al halili market with which in which they sell anything and everything um, from antiques real to antiques extraordinarily fake, from handmade things in Egypt to things definitely not handmade from China, um, to cobblestone alleyways where you, you'll go down and you'll find a whole bunch of guys drinking tea and smoking shishas and you sit down with them and a little boy comes out and brings you tea and shisha and everyone laughs at you for being the only white monkeys in the place. Um, and then you could walk down um, a different place. Well, actually, we took a we took a car into there, and you could follow the smell <laughs> um, into a place that was one of our most uh, fascinating experiences in Egypt, which was a place commonly known as Garbage City. So, so what is Garbage City? Because this is something we talked about in pre-show, but I'd never heard of it before, um, and it it sounds like incredibly bewildering like to a westerner garbage city is a place that we had read about and wanted to include in our 
film. Garbage City, of course, is not its official name. It's its colloquial um, local name. Um, it In the city of Cairo, they've never had a proper waste management uh, system. And so people actually now, many decades ago, took the job upon themselves to collect the rubbish from around Cairo and take it to one particular municipality precinct that's a little bit outside of the of the main city. And nowadays, they sort through it uh, and send some off for recycling. Some they sell, some goes in other places. But the most amazing thing about it is it's not like you would picture a... Uh, a waste management facility. It's a it's a town full of bags of rubbish, and people sit and in, people live in there. And people live inside of it. It's like if you imagine going to your work or your school and collecting all of the rubbish from it and bringing it home and putting it in your living room and hand sorting it <laughs> until it's finished, and do this again and again and again every day for generations. Um, that's when we stepped uh, into the Gaza City, uh, actually, a 12 year old drove us there in a tuk tuk. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, for sure, I cannot describe the smell. The smell is, it was a, an, uh, another level of uh, Cairo experience. Is, is classically yeah. about 80 to 90 degrees. I'm speaking in Fahrenheit because you're American. Thanks. Um, but Cairo, Cairo sits right around 80 to 90 to 100 degrees every day. And so if you take all of that rubbish that you can imagine from your entire school or your neighborhood or your municipality, and you imagine taking it home and putting it throughout your house, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, in your living room, in your basement, out on your front lawn, and then you let that bake for, I don't know, 40 years. And all all so. this garbage includes from uh, plastic leftovers to spaghetti. And it's, <laughs> and it's it's really all the rubbish. It's meat, it's dirty nappies, it's, it's everything that people throw out and it's being sorted by hand. And, and- Are they wearing know, gloves? Are they like- Some people, yes. Many people know. And some people, um, they, they walk barefoot. Yeah, the kids run around barefoot. Um, the kids run... The I mean, the amazing thing about this place was that it was one of the places we were told not to go. And Manos will tell you, we love going to places people tell us not to go. Because right, yeah, that's something we, we all have in common. We, we really believe that there is humanity everywhere, and especially in those places that have these, these big prejudices about them. We have, it's a responsibility of us to, to go and And our goal is to show, to show the reality of yeah. every location, no matter if it's good or bad. That we are not trying only to highlight the, the touristic uh, right. spots and the beautiful, clean beaches, but... Uh, you know, every place of every of every country. If there is poverty, we have to solve poverty. And Garbage City is a reality of life for 60,000 people. 60,000 people live there. So it's not like, oh, there's a, you know, there's a few people who work as rubbish collectors in Cairo. It's 60,000 grandmothers, grandfathers, moms, dads, kids, etc. And And what was amazing was this 12-year-old drives us in there, drops us off, and we're these two really white monkeys with cameras looking around and 
people came up to us and said, hi, who are you? How are you? We found a girl who spoke, who spoke English. They said, what are you doing here? Where are you from? And they were, they were extraordinary. They were extraordinarily kind and welcoming. Um, some, of course, said, said no with filming. And so we turned the cameras elsewhere because we really try and respect people uh, mm -hmm. while we are still doing this street kind of filming. Um, was, was there like an overarching theme? Like, like, what is their story? Why are they there? Why can't they get out? Well, it's not can't Why get doesn't out? Cairo build some way to dispose of their waste that's not with people? <laughs> um, well, nobody was really able to get into that properly with us. Um, nobody spoke quite good enough English. Uh, and we hadn't taken a translator. Well, actually, our translator didn't want to go there um, with us that day. Um, so we weren't really able to get as in-depth as I would have liked for that. But from what I can from what I can gather in Ghana, it's it's the way that it is. And when things gener become such over generations, it becomes normal. And so for us, seeing that is this stark, oh my God, how could somebody live like that? It's, it violates basic human rights. And it really, it really does. Um, but for them, it's how it's always been. And it, it became so normal that uh, two things happened there. First is that some tourist office, they are uh, taking uh, small groups of people and taking uh, there to see how is the garbage city. Like, it's like they're using it as like the opposite of ecotourism. It's like un-ecotourism. Yeah. <laughs> Grunge tourism. I don't know, something like yeah. that. The second thing that happened uh, is that many organizations, um, they are there that they are trying to, how to, to help some of them, to help some others to benefit from all this situation. Yeah. And they are... There are some organizations in there. There's one particular organization that we went and visited and we, in our film for Egypt, which is not out yet, but will come out soon, um, you will see the messages of, <clears throat> of two people that we interviewed in an organization inside of Garbage City. Um, and that organization is taking, uh, it buys um, some of the recycled products that the people in Garbage City sort through and, and find and sell to them. So they end up making money and they make uh, they make new things out of it. They make um, rugs and bags. And uh, I have a wonderful pair of Nespresso pod earrings that I bought there, which I think are really actually extremely awesome. Um, and they also have programs to teach, um, to teach people uh, trades. So, for example, uh, rug weaving or carpet weaving on looms, um, different types of things that, are, that can enable them um, to not just sort rubbish for the rest of their lives, but to potentially have a different option for, for a trade or an art form. Um, so, they, so they, run, run, they have a school for the kids. They have uh, reading programs. And the craziest one for me, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I'll, I'll trust back to you. Don't, now worry, about, don't worry about it. The craziest one is they actually have a baby washing program to teach people how to wash their children uh, properly because the infant and child mortality rate used to be extremely high um, because they're living amongst rubbish, obviously. Do they have access to, like, clean water? Uh, I would say yes, but very limited. Wow. If, that's, if I got a little quiet for a while, I just my mind is kind of blown. Um, 
because I didn't realize the details of this before we got into it. And and you're right, it is shocking. Like from our Western mm-hmm. point of view, we're like, wow, this is a human rights violation. And and I guess it kind of asks you as a traveler or, or a researcher or a filmmaker to to dig deep and like accept that there are things in the world and places where it might be kind of fucked up, but it's like that. And I think the most important thing that we can do as people seeing this is, is to understand that there are people there. Often these places, and you see this especially in dirty or, or particularly impoverished places, is that we, especially through the media, we tend to dehumanize them. And that's actually the worst thing because that keeps the cycle going. Um, it, yeah. If if these people are living that way, instead of treating them like people, if we treat them like trash, then they'll never come out of it. They, they, you know, it, we perpetuate the cycle. So it was important to us to to speak with them, to let to set, offer them the chance to share a message to the rest of the world, to show that this is happening, but that these are still people, just like you and just like me. I could have been born there instead of born in Australia. And then that would be my reality or yours or any of the people listening to this. And so it's things like this that need to remind us that we are all human. So in your view, like tourists going to Cairo and going to the Giza Plateau, does that ultimately like filter down and in some way help the people that are in garbage city or does it hinder them? Uh, if you're just going to see the pyramids, I don't know that it extraordinarily affects them. They'll probably pick up the rubbish that you leave at the gates of the pyramids, but I don't, I don't know that your tourism to Egypt would extraordinarily help or hinder them. Uh, I think that if you, for example, knew about what they're doing and chose for your Egypt souvenirs to buy something from, uh, one of the organizations that work with them and you choose you chose not to buy that little pyramid that's actually made in china from al Halili market but instead you chose to buy something from one of the oh, the um sorry brain blank from one of the organizations that either buys from them or use it or enables them to make and sell things then you would be directly affecting them but tourism as a whole is is a very large and very complex animal that doesn't always affect different places so uh yeah so what we'll do in in the show notes is we'll uh dig up a couple of those organizations and probably link to them because you're right like i probably saw the same pyramid like on a street market in shanghai you know that you would get in cairo i'm pretty sure you can order one on amazon and it's literally the same pyramid just like buy the postcard off amazon it'll be dropped at your door and be like hey pyramid um which is why my nespresso earrings are much more important to me my Nespresso pot earrings are more important to me than my little, you know, fake stone pyramid. From, from <laughs> that's true because they have a story. Go ahead, sir. Uh, I think uh, that uh, we must uh, uh, stop thinking uh, that garbage city is a fact and how we can uh, we can help these people who live there and to admit that this is a fact. I think that the best way that we should start thinking is how we could stop this, because Mm -hmm. this should not exist. 
Mm. People and kids and families should not sleep on uh, rubbish. Uh, as all countries uh, have done, the most of them at least, uh, the organization or the government or who have the power, they should create uh, infrastructure of managing the garbage. So people should be allowed to live with basic human rights. Cairo is a yeah. huge city, it has okay. some millions of people. It's uh, unacceptable. Yeah. to throw their garbage in the city and people living in this city. So, and, and you're right about that. And that's probably one reason, like you mentioned before, um, that it's garbage city is not one of those places where you're technically, let's say you're not encouraged to film there. That's for sure. Right. Well, we actually have a, interestingly, we, we met another friend um, who had gone in just as a sort of photographer person who walked in uh, and they took his camera when he left. A policeman spotted him, um, took his camera, said, show me all your pictures, delete them all. Uh, before they would let him leave, they made him wipe, wipe the card. So you're not encouraged. You're not just not encouraged to film there. It's it's really not a thing, I think. Um, and it's easy to understand why. Because it, it is. You, I don't, Cairo yeah. has a massive Cairo wants to be known the, for the pyramids not for the people who pick up its trash no they don't want but well when you talk about like Cairo as, as a tourist place um Egypt was recently named like one of the the tourist places that it's bouncing back in 2020 um there's been some unrest in the region in the earlier part of the decade so what was your experience as far as like going to Egypt now um just a couple months ago, I guess. Wonderful people, and Egypt is a fascinating country. Yeah. Egypt is a it's a it's a unique place in this planet. Uh, their history, their the desert, uh, their traditions. It's a unique place. I totally recommend to everybody to visit Egypt. is one of the places on on this earth that everybody should see. And I think also when people do visit Egypt. Um, Get, get out of the tourist bus, like meet people there. We, we went to the town of Siwa Oasis, which is um, out towards the border with Algeria? Libya. Libya, thank you. Um, and it's like a little desert town where kids still drive cars and oh bikes and tuk-tuks around. And you, um, you know, people still wear their traditional Bedouin style dress. Um, and it's like go outside of the touristic see the pyramids okay because they're very cool but then go and sit in a shisha bar with people in a giant crowded street they don't drink alcohol so drink a lime juice and smoke a shisha and talk to people um because this really you know egypt as a travel destination is is wonderful and it's what you see in all the postcards but really what we took away from egypt was that we met such wonderful people um and and again, that kind of brings it back to the core of this project, which is that we met wonderful, we meet wonderful people everywhere. So, and for this reason, we are creating also the behind the scenes yeah. video because uh, we could not show these stories in our main films uh, mm -hmm. of every country. So we are creating the behind the scenes to show exactly this the, the journey of the filmmakers mm -hmm. of us and uh, how people treat us, how people yeah. welcome us and. The hospitality, the generosity, everything. So, so, so with this way, we can break down some prejudices that people have for Egyptians, for Albanians, for 
American. Vietnamese. <laughs> oh, Australian. yeah. Open invite uh, to America. We, oh, my God. There's a whole nother podcast that it'll probably be a part of the season where a, a guy from the UK comes over here and he, and he wants to do like all the, you know, off the grid Tennessee things, which, you know, that's like I live in the city. Like, so that's not re- really like what we're going to do here in Memphis, but I did grow up in the country. So yeah, if you want to go shoot guns, okay, I'll just make a phone call. Like, <laughs> we, 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 actually, man. we 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 haven't made the year. film for America yet. We're we're working on that one. It'll be a little bit later once we've sort of um, picked up speed and gained momentum and notoriety, um, because the American media, obviously, as you know, is a is quite an animal. Um, and so we will make a film for America, a Discover Humanity film. We can't leave it out. Uh, it's definitely one of the hundred ninety nine. Um, and so for sure, you'll be more looped in when that when that's being planned. That that will be a, I promise you an a big big challenge. Um, yeah, a, absolutely. So one of the things I'm glad you mentioned the behind the scenes videos because like when I go to your YouTube channel Discover Humanity and seriously you guys really should check it out like when you get out of the car um, or if you're just like hanging out at the house you can easily burn like a whole Saturday just chilling and watching these really high quality stuff. Um, but we, you know, it's the Get Lost podcast, and there's a lot of Get Lost podcasts. Turns out, um, somebody should have done their research before they named the show. But one of the things people ask me the most is like, "Yeah, Joe, like we get it. Sold outside is the blog, and you're getting lost, and like go to Dublin and then immediately leave. But like, how do you, how do you get to these destinations that are in the middle of nowhere? They always ask that. How do you get to the middle of nowhere? Because it's easy to get to a city, right? I mean, what's your best advice for that? Buses, trains, boats, planes, camels, tuk tuks driven by twelve-year-olds. Feet, feet, canoes, the odd donkey. Uh, Last (laughs) week we came from Laos, and uh, we wanted. uh, I will tell you an example. We wanted to visit the Aka tribe that lives on on, uh, the northern Laos, to the next to the borders with China. So uh, these villages. Uh, have no road. There's no road goes there. But we wanted to meet them, to meet these people. So we were hiking three days to reach one of these villages. You hiked for three days. Like, what's what's the goal? Like, I, so I don't know about these people. So tell me, like, why are they? Why hike three days yeah. to go meet somebody? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> because you hike three days and two hundred years into the past. <laughs> if you could walk for three days and literally travel through time, would you? Um, yeah. They, we live as they always have. The, the Aka are actually an ethnic group that are spread throughout uh, southern China, northern Laos, a part of northern Thailand, and even a little bit of northern Vietnam. Uh, and because their villages are so remote, uh, they still live as, as they always have. Bamboo, ha- bamboo huts, there's one water pipe that is the water for the entire town. There's no plumbing of any description. Um, you go do what you've got to do in the bushes. Uh, with an audience of pigs, um, but the, they cook inside their homes. They wear traditional dress. They still speak their own language. They don't have electricity. They don't. Have- There's no electricity, um, and it was. It's important to 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 meet people who are living that way to to experience their way of life, and again for us to share their messages. What's the what's there like when you walk up? I mean, is there a way to like? What do you send a raven and like let them know you're coming or? Um, we had a we had a guy with us 
um, who who knows those villages and who knows the people up there. Um, so I suppose he was a bit of a raven. Um, but yeah, you you go and you um, it's it's exploring. It's getting lost. Um, you Manos always says you can't get lost on a road. Although we've definitely gotten lost on roads before. Yes, um, <laughs> um, but you know, if it, it's it's getting lost is is getting lost, and sometimes it means long hikes. And uh, you know, the the goal of this project is to capture uh, different uh, ways of life uh, in every location. We don't go only the touristic spots in the big cities in the capitals. We want also to find isolated places, isolated communities that they have a different way of life. But sometimes the same thing and the same message to send to the rest of the world. Do, yeah, I was going to ask, like, do they kind of have one unified message, like all of these people that, you know, would never otherwise talk to one another? Is, is there a theme when you ask them, hey, Absolutely. what do you want to tell the world? Yeah, we have uh, so I, many different. Uh, we have a lot of different ones, but one that stands out for me is really unity. We we have yeah. it in from every country. I would say there's at least one person saying, "Let's stop being divided. Let's start living as as and, brothers." Uh, it, it depends. Uh, it depends a lot the messages that we are getting. It depends a lot of the recent recent past of each country. Mm. For example. For example, uh, in uh, countries that uh, we have been and they had in the recent uh, history a war or some killings, uh, their message about unity and peace and love and uh, stop uh, killing each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, these countries were uh, Mm -hmm. Kosovo, was uh, uh, Cambodia, Mm -hmm. Cyprus, that they have in their recent past you know, a very, how to say, traumatic experience mm-hmm. through a war. Uh, other countries that uh, they haven't experienced that. Or in recently. the more developed. Yeah. Yeah, or the more developed, they, they, they send messages about uh, protecting the environment, mm-hmm. the technology, the, you know, the yeah. joy of life and the stuff. It, it really depends also of the different culture and past of every location and what about you guys i mean you're you're not probably not even halfway through your journey really um but how has it changed you (laughs) just getting started yeah we have at least other six years of traveling (laughs) to complete our project so you guys you're gonna have to come back on a couple more times i think um But so far, like, how has it affected you? I mean, you were already traveling before, but maybe not quite this deep. Yeah, I would say that um, a lot of my travel previously was a lot more exploration based um, and was a bit uh, a bit less human focused. Um, So it was caving or diving or, you know, um, exploration purpose travel. And so for me, um, this has been a very, I would say, um, I'd say a very, what do you say, a very kind of humbling uh, and and ego taming <laughs> journey for me because of because of the amount of people we're meeting in the different lives we're being accepted into and being shown, um, and I'd say that's really amazing and important for me, Mano. I think the the best uh, thing that I I get uh, through this travel is that. Uh, I'm breaking down my own prejudice. Mm. 
about others because uh, even if we say that we are trying to break down the prejudices that people have for, for, for others, we also have some of them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I'm bringing down my own prejudice and this makes me feel better and makes me feel that this project ha has a value, that mm. it can have an impact. And it's a fuel to continue also. I think there's a challenge as any sort of journalist. Um, you guys are, are doing a good job of jumping over the hurdle. Um, I've talked about this some this season actually on podcasts, but a lot of people don't realize like a, many, many travel writers, myself included, we're often ferried around to locations and shown the best of mm. everything. Sure. You know, the best hotels, the best tourist sites, the, you get insider access at a lot of places and that's great for discovering where to go. And like, if you're going to write an article and tell people who are traveling, like what are the sites to see in a certain city, there's a benefit to that. Um, and it does come with some expectations and, and a lot of things like that. But what you lose on those trips is what you guys have. And that's the ability to go off the grid and go hike for three days and go have a light juice in the desert with the locals those are experiences like drinking rakia with an old man in an abandoned village in Bulgaria. You know, you don't you know get about that. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know a lot about rakia. <laughs> yeah, boy, do I. That's that's and a whole are, different story. And those are priceless. Yeah, that's the stuff I remember the most. Like, I'm, I'll, I promise you, like, as much as I appreciate it, and, and I know that I'm privileged to have access to the, the five-star resorts and things, the stuff I remember is like when I sleep in a hut uh, and I have to make the fire to keep warm that night. That Those are the things. Or when I'm camping in Montana um, and I'm afraid that a grizzly bear is going to come eat me because maybe there's a SpaghettiO like stuck in my beard. It, that's, that's what I remember, and that's kind of what the getting lost is about. Um, before we let you guys go, because I know you've, you've got a whole day ahead of you, it's just mid-morning there in Singapore, um, I want to touch a little bit on Australia, because I know, Danea, you're from there, um, and recently, you know, there's been a huge outbreak of wildfires. Can you describe what the scene is on the ground there, like from the, your friends that you've talked to? Um, yeah, I mean, I... I... I don't live there and I haven't been there during the fire season uh, this year, so I can't speak from personal experience. But from everything that my friends have said, it's it's really hellish. Um, and it's been awful for it's been awful for everyone. I think the city, you know, my friends that live in the city just describe that it that it's been a cloud of of smoke and you can smell fire from everywhere. And you you've seen the pictures on the internet, but 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 what's really affected are the rural areas and the areas that, and the, the nature of Australia. And it's, you know, I've said to a couple of friends and I don't want to end this podcast on a, on such a down note, but I think the whole world right now feels extremely helpless. Um, but at least, at least people are aware this time. Australia has a fire season every single year and Sydney smells like smoke pretty much every single year. 
um, during that fire season, but this is another level. And it's because climate change is not fake. <laughs> um, there are things that are really changing in our weather and in our, in our um, ecosystem. And Australia is being hit extremely hard this year. So everyone uh, of my friends tells me that it's it's awful and it's horrendous um, and it shouldn't be happening, but that they're also really grateful for the rest of the world turning their attention to Australia and sharing this and being aware of it and and that hopefully it can propel us into even more of a of a climate conscious um, future. Yeah. So. Uh, thanks for for chiming in on that because I think yeah you're the first Australian we've had on uh, this season so I wanted to get sort of a more local point of view and and the last thing on a, a really positive note um, I know that you've been involved with the Explorers Club. And the Explorers Club is an organization that's been around for over 100 years. I don't know that too many people um, outside of the adventure exploration scientific community know what that is. But can you talk about the Explorers Club a little and tell us, like, what is that organization and, and how are you involved? Yeah, sure. The Explorers Club uh, was founded in 1904 and incorporated in 1905. Um, and in the early days, it was the uh, the people who were first to the North Pole, first to the South Pole, um, and and out there and and uh, discovering the world. And it's kind of it's kind of evolved into an organization of we have about thirty five hundred members worldwide, um, many of whom are scientists and conservationists. Um, ma- many names that that you would know: um, Elon Elon Musk, I believe, Jane Goodall, uh, Sylvia Earle, uh, many of those kind of people. But it's an organization that tries to promote um, a- exploration, and and especially these days with a science with a science component. Um, you know, it's it's great to walk up Everest, but. Uh, because somebody's done it before. If you're going there for um, a scientific purpose, it's it's another thing. And so, yeah, the Explore, Explorers Club is very interesting, based in New York, but with chapters in many different parts of, of the globe and actually a lot of things that anybody can get involved in. Um, they do presentations if you live in New York. Uh, they do Monday night programs. Um, there's uh, e- each of the different chapters do different things too. So, yeah, I'm a member of that, and we actually carried the flag on two of the expeditions that we did in Manus mm-hmm. Island. Oh, that's uh, incredible! Um, so, tell people about the flags. Like the, when you carry a flag, you have to bring it back, right? Oh yes, and if you don't, there is a very hefty penalty. Uh, they have a limited number of flags. I think there's something like 131 flags, but some of them are retired. Um, a flag retires when it goes on, when it does something extraordinary. So, for example, the flag that was taken to the bottom of the Mariana Trench is now retired and framed and sits in the clubhouse in uh, the Upper East Side in New York. Um, so, a flag basically signifies that you are doing an expedition that is uh, exceptional or has extraordinary value um, to science and exploration. So that's why we took it to Forney um, for the shipwrecks is because it was a uh, a pioneering expedition doing something that that's it's pushing. a unique uh, archaeological discovery exactly yeah manos you want to tell us uh, a little bit about forney we keep extending the podcast but it's just so damn interesting like tell yeah. people about this this island full of shipwrecks forney is a very small uh, greek island i am from there and uh, since i remember myself uh, walking and swimming 
uh, I was uh, doing uh, free diving and superficing. So all these years of my life, I I noticed uh, many uh, ceramics and amphoras uh, underwater uh, around the coastline of the island. So a few years ago, I called the Ministry of Culture of uh, Greece and informed them that I have one map with uh, some uh, uh, spots of... Uh, of uh, Basically, ancient, he made a ancient map. cargos because I'm not an archaeologist, but I was a diver and I have seen all this uh, with my own eyes. Right. So, so, so relics like the, these are pottery items and, and old Greek yeah. items exactly. under the sea. So, an expedition uh, started an uh, underwater archaeological expedition with divers from all over the world. And the first year, uh, we discovered 23 ancient shipwrecks. And uh, wh- when I'm telling uh, ancient, uh, I mean from 600 BC to 17th century, uh, fr- from all over the uh, the Mediterranean Sea. So that's from, like a- ancient Greece, um, like an ancient uh, ship uh, grave. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 an, uh, ancient, it's an ancient graveyard. Yeah. So. It's, 600 BC, yes, was uh, uh, ancient Greece. Me, uh, 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 all the press uh, uh, worldwide, they, they wrote about this. CNN called us as the world's shipwreck's uh, capital. Um, National Geographic wrote about this. Uh, New York Times, all, all, all the press worldwide. Uh, it is uh, uh, voted as uh, one of the 10 uh, most important discoveries in the world for 2015 and 2016. Mm-hmm. I would say you did okay for a diver. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so far we we have discovered uh, 60 ancient shipwrecks because every year we, we are discovering more and more and more. And are they like sort of, are some of them intact? Like is the wood still there or is it just like what metal fragments remain and pottery? Oh, really? The wood, after so many years, uh, is uh, decomposed uh, in perfect condition, and uh, this means if uh, uh, it is uh, buried under sand, there are some pieces of wood. But uh, this, to discover them and to reveal the whole uh, wreck, uh, we have to make an excavation. So Does far- it look like they're part of a battle? Or I mean, I know they span almost a thousand years, but... It's um, the wrecks are from a, a period of two thousand five hundred years. We oh, have, right, yeah. Writers six, bad that, at math. Yeah, fourth century. Like, yeah, they are from different uh, uh, times of uh, of the past. Some of them pr- probably they are from uh, piracy or from uh, battle. Some of them just, uh, you know, accidents. When it was an important waypoint on shipping, uh, sh- essentially, it's a it's a waypoint on the on the waterways of the Aegean and Mediterranean. If you look at it on a map, uh, it's at a very important geographical point between the north of Africa and Europe, between the um, the west coast of Asia and the Mediterranean and Aegean seas. Um, and so it was. It was a. It was a. Uh, what do you call it? A, a crossroads. 
for mm-hmm. uh, on on, on a secret water. road. Uh, it was a it was a water. Uh, yeah, exactly. So and and the the interesting thing that uh, uh, blew the archaeologist mind is that uh, to visit all this type of wrecks that now exist and uh, they have discovered in Furni, one archaeologist should travel in ten different countries. Uh, uh, let me preface the, that. That's because uh, because of Forney's position, like I said, on the on the watery roads, if you will, of of ancient times for for so many years. Um, the wrecks that we have are from an extraordinary amount of, or, of of places of origin. You have from the north of Africa. You have from the Black Sea. You have from the, from the Italy, western from side of the Mediterranean. Um, from from all over, and so. What Manos is saying is that we have an extraordinary diversity in origin of the places of these wrecks. And in the age. And in the age, exactly. So you guys can Google that. Forney's F-O-U-R-N-I, I I think. Um, You can Google those wrecks and read about them. F-O-U-R-N-I. (laughs) F-O-U-R-N-O-I. F-O-U-R-N-O-I. And recently we created also one non-profit organization there, one... one uh, um, archaeological institute uh, with the name Corset that it, it becomes from the second part of the name of Furni, that is Furni Corseon. So the name of the institute the, is Corset, K-O-R-S-E-A-I. Yeah. And you, and you, you can check their, uh, the discoveries, uh, to, you can take some photos. You can, you can go to Corsay.com, which is K-O-R-S-E-A-I.com, and that's the page of the institute that, that Manos founded. That's super cool. And it, that sounds like another great place for people to go get lost. Um, guys, thanks so much for taking time to come on this podcast. I mean, it's it's been a learning experience for me, and it's like whenever I do one of these, I meet people, and I realize, damn, I I thought I had been a few places, but no, nothing yeah. compared to Discover Humanity. Thank you very much, cool. and uh, we are looking forward to meeting you in America. Yeah, it was it was really special for us to be here too. Um, we hope we didn't waffle on for for too long. We know we've gone over, um, but thank you, and and we we look forward to the next one. So, guys, make sure to give Discover Humanity a follow on Instagram so you can stay in touch with Denea and Manos. You're going to see stuff like uh, rats clearing landmines in Cambodia and drones being confiscated in Cuba. And eventually, you're going to see Garbage City in Cairo. So, 2020 looks to be a pretty exciting year for them. Until next time, stay lost. Get Lost Podcast is a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. Be sure to go to soldoutblog.com. Give us a follow on Apple News at Sold Outside. Keep up with all of our adventures around the world.